Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Are you ready for the word of the Lord? I am too. I'll tell you what, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today and we're going to get right to it. Spend our time mostly in this chapter and I am pumped about it. How many would say that the persons that's preaching should be pumped about what they're preaching? (laughs) And uh, I'll tell you what, I I am today. Uh, This chapter is packed full of mission, adventure, discouragement, and breakthrough. That sounds like a lot of life, doesn't it? And uh, man, the gospel of Jesus going forth, and it is, it's, it's going to be so good. You know, whenever we read the Bible, we don't just read it to get information. We read the Bible to encounter the God of the Bible. And in that, we are invited into a story. We're invited into adventure. We're invited into mission as we read the scriptures, as we study them. And we're actually invited to discover why we're actually alive, to actually join God in what he's doing, and all of us are invited to participate. How many are glad about that today? All of us. Did you know that when you become a follower of Jesus, you do not sit on the sidelines? When you, when you become a believer, when you become a follower of Jesus, you're not invited to sit on the bench and watch the professionals play. We're actually all invited into the story. We're all invited. Everybody gets to play. Amen? following him. That's what we do. We follow him where he leads and we get to get in the game with him. So chapter 16 of the book of Acts, it begins with the apostle Paul and Silas. They've been preaching the gospel, the good news. They've been strengthening churches throughout Syria and Cilicia. And now they pick up a young man named Timothy uh, who's going to join them as uh, an apprentice to Paul, kind of like Paul's assistant. And they pick him up here in, the, in chapter 16. Now, Timothy is what we know from this passage is that Timothy's, Timothy's mother was Jewish, but because his father was Greek, Greek uh, Timothy hadn't been circumcised as a baby. So the passage begins with a little bit of excitement in that Paul actually circumcises Timothy. All the guys said, oh. So you know it's the beginning of a really good story when it begins with your new boss grabbing a knife and saying, hey, come here, kid. I got something I got to do to you before we start. (laughs) It's a great way to start a story, right? (laughs) He's like, what? And, uh, you know, it'd be like if a staff member came here wanting to come on staff. And I'm like, um, something we got to do before you come on staff, Aaron. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, <laughs> awkward. Uh, just to be clear, though, Paul, Paul did not have to circumcise Timothy because he needed to be circumcised in order to be a full-fledged follower of Jesus. He did it because they would be much more effective in reaching the people that they were called to reach if he was seen as a true Jew. So the three of them, you know, they, they have this experience. So Paul and Silas and now Timothy, they set out on a mission journey to preach the gospel, to bring the gospel, and to strengthen the churches in the faith. And it says that as they went in, the, the churches increased in numbers daily. In verse 6 here, it says, um, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, get this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, 
It says they attempted to go into Bithynia. I love these names. It says, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, at first glance, this might appear as really not a big deal. It might even seem fairly insignificant, but this was an incredible an incredible moment. It was an incredibly significant moment in the turning of history because now the gospel was heading towards Rome and into Europe, which would actually change the world over the next 2,000 years. This little moment right here. So the Holy Spirit tells them, you're not going to preach the word in Asia. They don't know why. They just know he said you can't go there. Which is interesting because I was thinking about this even in terms of what Jesus has called the disciples to do, right? He said, go to the ends of the earth, preach the gospel, bring the good news. That's what he told them. Be witnesses, right? Everywhere you go. So doesn't God love Asia? Of course he loves Asia. Doesn't he want those people to hear the good news of Jesus? Yes, he does. But Asia is not where he is taking them right now. Have you ever wanted to do something that was really good, that made a lot of sense, that didn't contradict the scripture, but you're like, oh, I want to go do this, but God said no, because that wasn't what God was up to right then? I think we've all experienced that along the way. This is what's happening here. So now, instead of going left into Asia, they have to go northward up and around Asia, and it's quite a journey. And as I dug into this a bit, it ends up that it's a couple hundred miles up and around, depending on the route that they took. 200 miles for us is really nothing, but it would be like a two-hour drive to Kansas City, depending on who's driving. I get there a little faster than others. But on foot, my voice keeps cracking today. I'm not sure what's happening. Maybe I need to sing a little bit. Uh, on foot, uh, it would have taken about three weeks or more. It would have been a three-week trip on foot. And when you are walking that far and that long on foot because the Holy Spirit has closed a door to where you thought you were going, but he didn't tell you where you were going, you have to wonder a little bit what these guys were thinking. You know, what were, what were they thinking this moment? What were they thinking like, what, what is this detour, right? Like, we know where we aren't supposed to go, but we don't know where we're going. And you have to wonder what Timothy was thinking as he followed this new leader who'd already had quite an impact on him. <laughs> Literally. I can't get over it, but anyways. Yeah, I was thinking it's much easier to follow God and trust God when you can see where he's taking you next. It's a whole nother level of following when we can't see what's next, but we follow anyway. They attempted to go to another city. We, first the Holy Spirit says no. Then they try to go to another place and the spirit of Jesus, it says, doesn't allow them to go there either. And this is what I was thinking that oftentimes in life, it's like this. Sometimes we don't know where we're going. Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes we just know where we can't go. Sometimes we don't know where we're going. Sometimes we just know where we can't go. And it's not clear how they knew. It might've been a prophetic word or it might've been just a deep down knowing or conviction from Jesus But they just knew, 
And what we know is that they obeyed what they heard from the Lord. And as they are following the Holy Spirit and they are walking in obedience with him, something happens and he makes the way clear for what's next. Get this in verse eight. It says, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Traos and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there in this vision, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately it says, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I want to encourage you, church, this morning, that when we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, even when we can't see what's next, even when it takes longer than we expected, even when you wondered what is going on and where in the heck am I going, as we surrender to him, as we surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit over our lives, he will lead and he will speak to you. How many know that to be true? I know it to be true in my life. I want to encourage those of you who are in places of waiting, that you have been waiting on God to speak to you about the next move. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't lose heart. He's going to speak to you as your life is aligned with his mission. As your life is aligned with his mission, as your purpose in life isn't just to find out his will for your life, your purpose in life is to find out what his mission is and what his will and join him in his will, you're going to know what the next step is. You're going to know what the next place is that you're going to. I heard somebody say this, it was so powerful, it's so simple, but they said, They said the way to find God's will for your life is to do his will for the next 15 minutes. Isn't that good? The way to find God's will for your life is to do his will for the next 15 minutes. And then keep doing it. Right? Like sometimes we like are like so out there that the Lord's like, I just want you to obey me right now. Like in these next 15 minutes, like my posture is like, I want to do the will of the Lord. And this is what's going to happen as we do that. You're going to know what you need to know when you need to know it. You're going to know what you need to know when you need to know. And our posture is to listen like they did, immediately respond. It says, immediately we sought to go. Immediately we sought to go. My first pastor um, used to, his name was Pastor Meeks, and he, he had all these one-liners like Pastor Gary does. Pastor Gary's got amazing one-liners. But my first pastor, Pastor Meeks, whenever I'd go in to like see him or say hello, come into the office in the morning, I'd say, how you doing? Or we'd be ready to go out and to do a service on a Sunday morning. I'd say, how you doing? He'd say, I'm sitting on go. I'm sitting on go. He'd say that to me like every day of my life. I'm sitting on go. What did that mean? That meant he was ready for what God wanted to do in his life. I'm sitting on go. I'm ready to to do whatever the Lord calls me to do. I feel like that's what these guys were doing. Those weeks of walking, those weeks of wondering what, where are we going? Those weeks of seeking God on that trip around Asia brought them to this moment. They knew they were sent. They were just waiting for the clarity on where they were going and the mission that they had received. And now it has come through a vision in the night. I might add this too to you. 
That this encounter that Paul has with the vision is, is perfectly in line with, with the prophecy that came forth on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, the prophecy of Joel that, that, was, that was coming forth on that day of Pentecost, that I, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what did it say? Your young men will see visions. This is exactly what is happening to Paul here today. And I'd even like to encourage us in this moment, in this day, that, that it's still one of the significant ways that he speaks to us. It's still one of the most significant ways that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, but he speaks to us through his spirit as well. How could we ever live a life of mission? How could we ever live a life of purpose without the supernatural leadership of the Holy Spirit? Some time ago, I was, uh, I was wanting, a church was wanting me to come and pastor there. And uh, in fact, one of the members I remember, they really wanted us to come so much. This, one of these members called me and they were crying. And they said to me, they said, they said, please come and help us. And they said, this is a Macedonia call. And they were so passionate and they were weeping and oh I, I love these people and I felt the heart of God for them. They were they were so sincere. They were so hungry for the Lord. And and I was thinking about this as I was reading this passage that you know I could have probably gone there and it probably would have gone well and there would have been good that would have happened. I wouldn't have been you know in violation of the word of God because I would have been bringing the gospel and and discipling people and all of that. It was actually a very appealing place to to live, but the Holy Spirit said no to me. Holy Spirit said no to me. He said, don't go there. And in fact, I, I received a, a friend of mine had a prophetic vision about it. He had no idea what was going on in our lives. And he calls me one day and he gives me this prophetic vision uh, about, us, uh, about us going somewhere else. And it ended up really confirming what the Lord had already spoke to my heart. But God had a different plan than even this person that was pleading with me with this Macedonia call. If I'd gone there, I would not be here. And all that to say, church... That we have these moments through our lives where we must follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even in these small moments, they may not seem significant, but they are majorly significant. As we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit through relationship, through friendship with him, we're tuning our ear, right? You know, when my wife calls me on the phone, usually what I hear is, hey, babe. Now, that, that hey, babe, comes out in different tones, you know, depending on what's happening in the day. But my wife doesn't say, like, she's not saying, like, hey, babe, this is Christy Thompson, the, the, the mother of Olivia Thompson and Emmy Thompson and Ruby. Like, she doesn't have to explain who she is unless she's calling me saying, uh, this is the mother of your children. Get home. Like that, I mean, that has happened before, right? But like, she doesn't have to explain that. Like, I know her voice, right? Like, and that's, that's what we're kind of talking about here is that through friendship with the Holy Spirit, I'm learning to recognize the leadership, the supernatural leadership of the Holy Spirit, just like I would recognize my wife's voice when she calls me. And that's what we're seeing played out here with Paul and Silas and Timothy. They're, they're hearing the voice of the Lord. So they respond to the vision in obedience and they set sail for Macedonia 
and they arrive in Philippi, which is a leading uh, city there. And what happens is that they, they get there into, into Philippi and they find a group of women who had come to a little prayer meeting. And they, these women are gathered down by the river. And so Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and now Luke, who's the writer of Acts, they all gather down by the riverside with these women and they start speaking to these women. In verse 14, it says this, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So Lydia is a businesswoman. She's a woman of of wealth. She's a woman, a woman of power. She's a woman um, that, that has influence. And apparently she owns a house in Thyatira. And apparently she owns a home or a household here in Philippi. We could say she's like a modern day uh, fashion CEO. It says that, that they were sharing with her. In verse 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So here's somebody that we know has been praying. She's, she's come into this somehow to, to, to know somewhat God, to know him a, a bit. She's a worshiper of God and she's hungering for more. And then Paul shows up one day by the riverside where she is and she hears and she receives the gospel of Jesus Christ and becomes a believer in that moment. And apparently she's baptized right away. So who knows? It might have been, it might have even been her prayers, Lydia's prayers in part that caused Paul to receive the vision to come. I mean, we don't know, but she was ready for more. It's like she was just waiting there. And, and guys, as I was like praying on this and I've just been honestly reading this passage over the last few, few weeks, as I was praying about this, meditating on this, I felt like I heard the Lord say this for us in our context, that there are many Lydia's who are paying attention right now. That there are many Lydia's that are paying attention right now and who are ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Who are ready and they are just waiting for the good news to come through you and me. That there are literally Lydia's in the marketplace that are waiting. Lydia's that you know. Lydia's and Lloyd's. Let's just say Lloyd. It starts with L. Men and women in the marketplace that are, <laughs> sorry, that are, that are waiting to hear. And when you begin to share, when you begin to just share about the goodness of Jesus, the Lord will open their hearts and they will respond, but they are waiting to hear. We share, he opens the heart. Isn't that good? It's a partnership with the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership with the Lord. We share, he opens the heart. And I believe the Lord is going to show you. I believe Holy Spirit is going to lead you. How many would love him to lead you to a Lydia? How many people work in the marketplace here today? Okay, like two. What all, what all do y'all do? <laughs> you know, like, like I believe that he is going to open your eyes to see Lydia's this week. 
I believe that in the place that you have influence, in the marketplace, maybe you're a business owner, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a waitress, in the marketplace, the Lord is going to open your eyes to see the Lydia's and the Lloyd's, and he is going to, he's already prepared them, they're just going to be right there, you're going to share just your heart about how Jesus is so good, and God is going to open their hearts, and they're going to come to salvation. I believe that. I believe that over all of you. As you're aware of him, as you're inviting his leadership over your life, as you're saying, God, I want to live in your mission, he's going to put those people in front of you, and all of a sudden, you're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to see people in a way you haven't seen him before. I believe that for us today. I do. It's beautiful. So it says this. After she was baptized, get this, and her household as well, She urged us, saying, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And this begins the church of Philippi right here in her living room, which Paul writes to 10 years or so later in the book of Philippians. It's just so beautiful, right? So this mission that they're on is going so well. How many love when the mission goes well? I do too. Verse 16 says, as they, were, as they were going then to the place of prayer right after this, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, can you say greatly annoyed? (laughs) Greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. I have wanted to do that to people before, but I just wasn't sure it was a spirit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Some of you are like looking at me like you're mad at me for saying that. You know it's true. So this girl is what we might recognize as as a modern-day psychic fortune teller, right? Even though she's technically speaking the truth, it would have been confusing to people. They wouldn't have understood the term Most High God or salvation the way that we would understand Most High God or salvation. And they wouldn't have been understanding it the way that Paul was intending it to be meant. So to the Philippians, the name God, um, it would have probably referred to Zeus or whoever was at the top of the pecking order of the gods of the day. Okay? So people aren't getting that as they're hearing that from this girl. And they wouldn't have understood salvation the way that we understand salvation, they would have understood salvation as more of like health and prosperity. And so she's actually bringing confusion. And it's not the same message that Paul is there to bring. So she's been harassing them for days because she's tapped into the demonic spirit realm and she's making a lot of money for for the people that own her. And she's being exploited for financial gain. And Paul's annoyed, and he's had enough. In the name of Jesus, commands the Spirit to get out of her. He does what Jesus actually has called us to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons in my name. So he does what Jesus has called him to do. She gets free 
but it costs her owners. And they realize that their little business has just gone down the drain. And they realize that the profits that they were making are no longer that their finances are in trouble because now this girl does not have her prophetic powers anymore. They're gone. And so they go after Paul and Silas and it says they drag them into the marketplace before the rulers and they say, these men are disturbing our city. They're dangerous. They're throwing our city into confusion. They're Jews. They're advocating their customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And in verse 22, get this what happens. Just from him setting a demonic person free, it says the crowds joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many, it says many blows, Upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, having received this order, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the socks. These guys didn't just go into prison. They went into the dungeon. They went into the innermost part of the prison, and they are chained to the floor with iron chains. Here's what we need to remember, church, and I think it's something that as a Western people, we need to remember is that when the kingdom breaks in in freedom, there's a disturbance. When the kingdom breaks in, there is a disturbance. You can be sure of that. And I think sometimes it looks wonderful, and sometimes the breakthrough creates real problems for those that are bringing the kingdom. Especially when the kingdom breaks in And it smacks religion and money and politics right in the face in one swoop. That's what we're seeing happen here. Through one simple power encounter, God shows up in freedom. And this slave girl is freed up. And it erupts with a mob attacking Paul and Silas. They get stripped bare. They get beat with rods. They discovered and experienced what happens to those who challenge the powers of the world with the powers of the name of Jesus. Church, I wonder if we have lost sight of what it actually means to challenge the powers of the world with the powers in the name of Jesus because we're afraid of what might happen. This is the kind of stuff that happens. This is what happens. And the book is full of stories like this if you read it. If we're doing this stuff, church, I want to I encourage you and I want to challenge you. There are going to be disturbances. Can I say that if we're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there are going to be disturbances. You cannot look at Jesus or any of the disciples and think otherwise. So I think so often in our Western mindset that if this happened on one of our missionary trips, we'd probably think we miss God. I mean, Cherie, if we went down to, you know, Guatemala or Africa, we got, we got, you know, beat up for the gospel. I mean, we'd be calling the diplomats and all the people like, they can't do that. You know what I'm saying? But here they are. Because this kind of persecution, I think, is often foreign to us. And if things like this happen, so often we think we miss God. But church, they did not miss God. They're actually right in the center of God's will. 
We were not designed, I was talking to my friend Sandy this week, we're not designed, church, to live in safety. We're not designed to live in the zoo. Some of us were, but. We're not designed to live in the zoo. We're li- we're, we're, the zoo is safe. We were made for the wild with Jesus. We were made to live in, in the wild. The one, it's wonderful, but at times when we're out in the wild, it can be dangerous. When did the idea of following Jesus become about safety or comfort or even self-preservation? When we follow him, we let go of our lives. We actually lose them to follow him. Are you with me, church? Are you with me? I believe this is a message for me. I feel the Lord stirring my heart in some things that I've become complacent and I become safe in the Lord saying, I didn't call you to complacency. I didn't call you to a safe place. I called you to radically follow me in obedience. And sometimes that includes difficult moments. Sometimes that, that, that includes a clash, a disturbance of kingdoms. But will you stand and will you follow me in that moment? There's a pushback when you are doing what God has called you to do. I'll even tell you there are moments that I lose sight of this and I don't recognize the pushbacks that are happening as the disturbance in the atmosphere in the kingdoms clashing. But church, we got to remember that when we're following him and we're doing the right stuff and we're bringing the kingdom, there is a pushback in it, but there's always grace enough for it. There's always grace enough for it. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, it says this, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow him in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Church, hear this. When we do good and we suffer for it, it is gracious in the sight of God. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When Jesus suffered, he would not threaten retaliation. He was content to let God set things right. How many know that there are, there are things in our lives right now where we have to be content to let God set things right? That we trust that God is going to set things right. He entrusted himself to his father. Jesus made it clear that following him meant suffering. And so did everybody else in the New Testament. Here's the thing. We don't pursue suffering. We pursue Jesus. And along with Jesus came suffering. You're like, this is a great message. Let's all go out and suffer. (laughs) Is that what I'm saying? Do you hear my heart in this? And for Paul and Silas, this... This landed them in jail, unjustly, without a trial. They were beaten up, black and blue, welts. Their skin was, I'm certain, opened up, they say, uh, you know, vulnerable to infection. 
possibly broken ribs by that kind of a beating. They were put in the deepest part of the prison by the guard. They were probably, it was probably infested with rats and rodents and God forbid snakes. That's the worst thing ever. It was cold, it was stinky in that place, and it was dark. I mean, it was dark, dark. Their feet are fastened and clamped with irons to the ground, which was horribly painful. And I might be wondering if that was me. Did I really have that vision, or was that pizza last night? You know what I mean? Like, for real. Like, was that really that? But what did Jesus' people do that are unjustly accused? What did Jesus' people do that are, that are arrested and beaten and imprisoned unjustly? Here's what they did. Verse 25, at about midnight, <laughs> Paul and Silas, in that dark, rat-infested place, were praying and singing hymns to God. And it says the prisoners were listening to them. They're physically broken. They're physically hurting. They're physically wounded in a pitch black jail cell in the dead of night. And what do they do? They have a worship service. They're lifting their voices in prayer and praise to God. And the other prisoners are leaning in to hear them. This must, they must, they, what are these other prisoners thinking? That these guys must be nuts. They must be crazy. Yeah, they're crazy. They're crazy for Jesus. They're crazy for him. Their lives are on mission. Do you know that when your life is on mission, it looks totally different? Do you know when your life is on mission, everything that encounters you in your life looks different? Do you know that when we live for ourselves, everything looks different than when our life is lived on mission? Everything, every encounter, every interaction, it looks different. Their lives are on mission. They're right at the center of God's will. And there's no greater place to be even if it lands you in prison. And this is part of it. Prison is part of it for them. Lydia, her household coming to Jesus is part of it. The demon-possessed girl is part of it. Her getting set free. The gospel is spreading even in a prison cell. Prisoners are hearing the praises of God. And these guys can't be stopped because they are surrendered to the mission of God for their lives. Maybe this is where God dropped into Paul's mind the scripture that he later wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Maybe this is the place where he got that rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, even in a nasty old jail cell. Who knows what they were singing at that time? Maybe they were singing a psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Maybe they were singing taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe they were singing let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Do you know that one? I used to lead that one. It's like a gospel boom chuck. Let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. You guys are like, you're, 
Are you going to help me out here, guys? You got to clap on the two and four. It's boom chuck. Here. Let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Lift up your hands. Don't be afraid. Let us sing till the power of the Lord come. Come on, one more time. Let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Lift up your hands. Don't be afraid. Let us sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Yeah. (laughs) You guys did good. You guys did good. I mean, I don't know what they were singing. Probably not that, but maybe they did. I needed Stephen to come up on the organ and play with with me right there. I used to sing that song like 25 years ago. It was so good. But uh, I don't know what they were singing, but they were singing. And they were rejoicing in the middle of the difficulty. They were rejoicing in the middle of the darkest of night. Their praises of God were coming out of their mouths continuously. And I think that this is such a vision for us right now. When in the darkest nights of our lives. I really do. I believe that for for us in the middle of, of darkness that might surround us when it feels like the lights have gone out. Have you ever felt like the lights have gone out? Where they just have gone out. Maybe you're in some kind of a darkness right now and you need to lift your voice and begin to praise the Lord. You say, oh, I've done that before. No, maybe you need to do it again. Maybe you need to press through and lift your voice and begin to sing to God in the midst of the moment that you find yourself in because he's so good. The shift happens, sing in that prison. Maybe you need to sing in that difficulty, sing in that trial, sing in that persecution, sing in that rejection. Maybe there are chains around you. Even right now, maybe there's things you haven't been able to get free from. Maybe you need to lift your voice and begin to sing out to the Lord and declare his goodness because praise is a weapon, church. Praise is a weapon. Maybe you gotta sing that. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Maybe you gotta just start declaring that over your own life. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, every chain. Charity, you can come and help me close this down here in a minute. What a people that hear you praising, that know what you're going through, what's going on in your life. What if they hear you praising? Church, they're going to lean in and listen. When you're going through some of the darkest nights of your life and those people around you hear the praises of God coming out of you, they're going to lean in and say, what is going on in there? What is the joy in the midst of that dark place that they are in? How could they be praising God in a time like this? I think this is an example and exhortation for us. And it wasn't just the prisoners who heard the worship. It was the living God who heard the prayers and the praise, and he moves in power. Verse 26, it says this happened, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, it says, the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
Come on. Now, earthquakes were, were fairly common there, but not this kind, not the kind that, that opened prison doors and set captives free. <laughs> it was not those kind of earthquakes. Earthquakes did not come that literally opened up the shackles from every prisoner in that prison. Come on, get this. Get this. God didn't prevent the injustice from taking place to Paul and Silas. I think that's a really important thing for us to understand. God does not always save us from hardship. He does not always rescue us from difficulty. But he saw it and he responded to their prayer. He responded to their praise in power. And it wasn't just Paul and Silas that were set free. Everybody in that prison cell worship service got free. He set them all free. That's the power of praise. Let us sing till the power. Just kidding. I told Charity I wouldn't do that to her. (laughs) I I was joking. I said, B flat, B and B flat. When the jailer woke, it says, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew. This is the best part. So I encourage you not to leave. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household will be saved. I got to tell you this, church, hear me on this, stick with this, that as powerful as the whole earthquake was, as powerful as, as everybody getting broken out of chains, I feel like this last part is what gets me. And I feel like in some ways it's a word from heaven for us in this moment. See, the jailer knew, <laughs> the jailer knew that if the prisoners escaped, that, that, and that's what he thought had happened, that he knew that under Roman law, that he would be executed by the magistrates. So he's about to commit suicide because he thinks his life is over. And Paul, the prisoner, raises his voice and says, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. Not Not just the two of us, but everybody's still here. See, when the chains fell off, hear this, guys, they could have run. They could have escaped. These guys could have gotten out of there. But their mission wasn't self-preservation or escaping hardship. Their mission was the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people, even when it's your enemy and even when it's your captor. That's the gospel. And the jailer who had their lives in his hands now finds his life in their hands. Do you feel this? And instead of retaliation, they show him mercy. Instead of retaliation, instead of returning evil for evil, they overcome evil with good. And because of it, what happens? He falls down on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And that wasn't saved in the sense that we think of the word church. The Philippian jailer wouldn't have known the context for that. What he's basically saying is, guys, will you please tell me how to get out of this mess? Will you please tell me how to get out of this mess? And I got to tell you this. 
The answer, just like the answer always is on any kind of level of mess in our lives, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. How do I get out of this financial mess? How do I get out of this relational mess? How do we get out of this national mess? The answer is always going to be Jesus. It is always going to be Him. It is always going to be His leadership. It is always going to be Him. He's the one that will break you out of everything. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't difficult things that go on. They do. But it is always Jesus. Paul shares the good news with him. And get this. Everyone in his house. And this beautiful thing happens. Guys, hear this. I started crying when I read this. The jailer washes their wounds. The jailer, the captor, the enemy washes their wounds. And then they baptize him and his family. And then it's this back and forth. And then he, the jailer, brings them into their home and pulls up chairs to his table and feeds them a meal. And then it says he rejoiced along with his whole household that he believed. They have shown this man Jesus. They have shown this man and they've shown all those prisoners Jesus. Men who can sing songs in the darkest of nights. Men who have a joy unlike anything they've ever seen before. Men who don't take revenge when they have a chance, but overcome evil with good. This is what the gospel does, church. In a moment like we're in right now with the national craziness, we got to remember the gospel of Jesus. We got to remember the pure gospel of Jesus that those who were once enemies, the jailer and the prisoner, can now become the dearest of friends. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Can we just lift up our hands all over the room? I got a few more things I want to say to you, but can we just lift up praises to Jesus right now out loud? Can you just just lift up praises to the Lamb of God? Come on, it's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. Come on, just out loud, just praise Him in the middle of wherever you find yourself in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I pray even right now where there are chains that are binding people in this room, that those chains would be broken off in the name of Jesus. Even in our praise right now, things that have been holding people captive in the name of Jesus, freedom, 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 freedom. I want to just declare this over you. Stay with me for another 60 seconds here, guys. You are a sent one. You've been given a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a sent one. You're not on the sidelines. I'm saying this to every single person here. You are not an observer. You are an active participant. 
Every single one of you pursue the leadership of the Holy Spirit over your life because he has set people up to be in your path every single day. Don't look past the people that are right in front of you. When you open up to the gospel like we've just seen in Acts 16, you can't look at people the same way. You will not be able to look at the waiter at the restaurant the same way. Don't look past the people that God has put right in front of you. You don't have to go across the seas. You will do that too. But we go across town and God has put a Lydia in front of you. God has put that person that annoys you right in front of you. Cast that spirit out. I'm joking. God has put an inmate in front of you. A jailer in front of you. Whoever these guys found themselves with, that's who became their audience. Whoever they found themselves with is who became their audience. Those are the ones that they were sent to. And I was thinking about this. What if Paul and Silas were just trying to get out of prison to get on with the mission? Church, they would have missed the mission. What are we trying to get out of? Who are we trying to get away from that God has actually put right there because he's ready for his kingdom to break out right there in that place? They would have missed God and missed what was right in front of them. Church, he wants to use you today. He wants to use you this week to release the goodness of Jesus. Do not buy the lie that that's for somebody else. I want to tell you, it's for you. One last time, would you just lift your hands? I want to pray this over you. I pray in Jesus' name. That when people stand before you this week, that your eyes would be opened to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When they say, when they open up and they ask you questions like, what's going on in the world? Or they say statements like, I'm so full of anxiety or I feel alone or my life is a mess. I pray in Jesus' name that you would consider that an invitation. That, that you would consider those questions an invitation to share the goodness of Jesus. And as you share just his goodness and you are led by him, he will open the heart and the kingdom will advance and break through. I pray, Father, that we would be an apostolic sent people this week with the goodness of the gospel, that we would not prioritize self-preservation above the gospel, but that we would pursue you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, can we give the Lord just a big shout of praise this morning?